following program contains language and subject matter that is adult in nature. Discretion is advised. Okay, there we go. This is Ugly Phil. What are you waiting for? Do it! Triple M. You know, recently we've been taking you around the building and showing you various different departments here at Triple M and how they work. We've been to the promotions department, we went to sales, we went to the music department. But tonight I think it's time that we actually honour the oil that keeps this massive engine moving at the speed and the ease that it does. So let's talk to the on-air guys. Hey guys, how are you? We can't talk to you until you put your cans on. Stick around, folks. We'll be back right after this with more great stuff. So, um, why do radio guys have such stupid nicknames? You know, like Duck, Dangerous Dave, Queer Pete. What do you mean, ugly? <clears throat> how would you describe what you do here at the M's? Oh, you know, stacks of wax, loads of platter chatter. Coming at you. Oh, I like the way you said that, Queer Pete. Wait till you hear me do the weather. Could you guys let us into any uh, unknown disc jockey secrets? You know when you ring up and ask for a request? <laughs> yeah, we say it's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big, Big lie. Wow. And Elton John? Yeah? Not his real name. Really? So do you guys know any famous people? You kidding? <laughs> Only Shannon freaking Knowles. Brian bloody Maddox. Wow. So what would you say would be the best thing about being on air here at Triple M? Well, when the record company gives us CDs to listen to and we, <laughs> we sell them on eBay, Barb lets us send them from reception without paying the postage. And giving plugs on air to places that give us free shit? Hey, watch out. Here come the top 40 DJs. Snapchat, Snapchat, Fine and miles. Fine and miles. Fine and miles. Oh, God, it's a jock off. I'm out of here. So I was at the news agent on Saturday and I was buying the lotto ticket from a fairly humorless man who, um, you know, I always try and make a joke when I get the lotto ticket. Like, oh, is that the one that's going to win the money? And this guy just having none of it. He's like, nah. But all right, terrific. Well, have a good weekend, mate. Yeah. And then he said something curious. He said, I said, uh, he goes, oh, punt high and follow. I thought, what does he mean by that? Punt high and follow. And I figured afterwards as I was walking down the street that that's his catchphrase that he says, that leaves you walking away thinking, wow, what an interesting and deep man with a snappy retort. Yeah. And I want a snappy retort. Okay. I want a catchphrase so that, you know, as I am largely uninteresting, like the guy that works behind the counter at the newsagent, after people have had a chat to me and they walk away, I want them to go, what a wise young man. And so worldly as well. So I've thought of my catchphrase, and then I'm going to open up the phone. If you've got a catchphrase you'd like to share as well, you know, your creed, the words that you live by. Did you think of one? I haven't, but I can. Okay. Do you want me to tell you mine yes, while please. you think of one? Okay. So when, so imagine I'm just, you know, like whatever, and you're just saying goodbye to me, thanks for your service, have a nice day, that kind of thing. Okay, okay? yeah. All right, go, go, go ahead. Thanks. Bye. You're welcome. Wear orange at dawn <laughs> and seek only the way. Wow. What do you think? Yeah, that's you like profound. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's profound is exactly what that is. So that's mine. What's yours? And as you can tell by the catchphrase, it's got to be absolute nonsense. How are you? What do you got? Well, normally it's one day, one step, one breath. Yeah. But because, I'm, because I've lost one toe to gangrene and I'm about to lose a second, mine's one day, one hop, one breath. Wow. And may the knowledge of nine toes stay with you till the day you hop. No, it'll be eight, actually. Okay, well. <laughs> Cash, I know you are a profound young man, so give it to me. Well, so when people ask me questions, if it's silly or genuine, say, why are you doing a cover of Rihanna? I answer back simply, because I'm Cash. Lucky your name wasn't Bob, otherwise it wouldn't work as well. No, not quite. Scotty, how are you? No, look, our, uh, our code word has uh, been surfers. There's a big swell coming... Um, it swells around at the moment, but Wednesday's the biggest swell down there, Torquay and Bells. Yeah, look, our code word is, uh, what's blowing your hair back? May your swell always be low, hung and bulbous. You know what? My nickname's Donk, Phil. Hey, Brad, I want to hear it. What is it? Hey, uh, you always got to finish off a conversation with it's been real. It's been good, but it ain't been real good. I'm giving you the clap. Probably not the <laughs> first time. 
<laughs> Irene, it's good to have a female perspective on this nonsense. What's your one then? Two words that sums up my total personality. Bite me. Usually people, when they have two words for me, one of them is <laughs> and the other yeah, one's off. Oh, that's, that's one of my others. And then there's the pee off and there's the, yeah, well. <laughs> Thank you. Vinny, baby, give it to me. Never let those that doubt you believe it. I believed you until I doubted you. You never doubt it. I believe you. You're listening to the Rubber Room Podcast. You can listen to us weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. on Triple M. Hey, Gazzo, hope you had a great weekend, buddy. It was a great weekend. Thanks for asking. Blink-182, what were they going to call their new album? Nude Erection, my friend. Wow. You know, that doesn't surprise me, considering they're the kind of band that run through their own video clips half naked, fully naked, just pixelated, really. You know what they are becoming, and I do like Blink-182, but the equivalent of somebody over 15 who rides a skateboard. We're not having that argument again, <laughs> are we? I thought that was last week. So they're also going to call the album No Hard Feelings, or maybe I'm saying this right, O-B-G-Y-N Kenobi? O-B- no, Obi-Gin. O- what does that mean? Gyne- gynecology? Oh, right, one of them things. Obi-Gyne. Right. I did a TAFE course on that once, but I failed. I'll still have a look at it for you, though. (laughs) So, the new album from Blink-182, any good, you reckon? Absolutely. New dude in there. What's his name from uh, Alkaline Trio, Matt Skiba? Yep. Yeah, look, I love Bored to Death. If uh, Bored to Death is anything to go by, it's just Blink-182 as we know and love. Post-Tom DeLong. It'll be fine, Phil. They revealed that they had a full album's worth of songs written and ready to record before DeLong left the band, and as a result, they threw it all away in the bin. Well, here's an exclusive for the Rubber Rumours and for you. I've got a copy of those songs that are in the bin. I can get them out, yeah. <laughs> I, I shudder to think. Oh, no, I'll get them over here. It's a whole yeah. bunch of yeah. All right. Yeah, listen yep. to this. Yeah. Okay, yep. Where are you? And I'm so sorry. Get back in there, Tom. It's no use <laughs> apologising. Let's have a listen to Travis Barker talking about the brand new Blink-182 song and whether or not he went online to see what the fans thought about it. I don't like going online and seeing what people say too much. It was one of the first songs we recorded with Feldman, and I've lived with it so long, I, I already know how I feel about it. I think it was a really great first representation of what the band sounded like and really great first single. But besides like little rumblings of, you know, just speaking to friends, saying they liked it, I didn't really look and go in the comments and see what everyone said, you know? Hey, um, just before I talk to of monsters and men, can you give me some Icelandic Nordic names? Would that be all right? Adalmundur, Dagsteiger, right. Biatma, Frio Loger, Gudvaldut, Huff Grimor, Ragnar Lodbrok, Jan Skeggi. Nice. I think uh, Huff Grimor might be my favourite, actually. Huff Grimor? Bless you. You're listening to the Rubber Room podcast. Find us on facebook.com forward slash MMM Rubber Room. Aggie from Of Monsters and Men was in Game of Thrones. They're in Australia. And I talked to them about the layering on the new album as well. Uh, I think we went in a, for a bit of a darker sound, I guess. And a bit of a, yeah, I guess, laid-back sound, I guess. As for the lyrics, it's more about the human aspect. And that's about, as before, we were doing a lot of stories about monsters and stuff like that. But I think this one is more about, about us as humans. Less monsters, more men, perhaps. I guess so, yeah. But you've got an interesting sound as well, because you've got the big drum sound, but then you've got the acoustic guitars and the sort of orchestral feel to it as well. We try everything we want to try, and uh, and if we don't like something, we just throw it away. And uh, like with songs that have few elements, I think those are hard to mix as well. Now, you've had a really interesting year, because I noticed that you were on the soundtrack to the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the iPhone 5 introduction video, the Hunger Games Catching Fire soundtrack. But what I found really interesting is you were also in season six of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's yet to come out, but uh, yeah, I am very anxious to see how that comes out. What did you do? Did you play a character? I'm actually not allowed to specify it. I know, I, I kind I of did. thought that might be the because case. Everything is very secretive. I am allowed to say that I'm in it, but okay. we'll see. Given the fact that you're not allowed to give anything away, are you Jon Snow's best friend? <laughs> you know, I wish. <laughs> that would be great. Right? Yeah, I mean, but you wouldn't want to go to the pub with him because, yeah. you know, like, you'd be, hey, I'm the guy from Monsters of Men. Yeah, but it's Jon Snow! Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. There you go, I was calling him Aggie, but his actual name is Raggy, by the way. Do you know what that's short for? I did not, know. Ragnar. Oh, awesome. Yeah, do you know his surname? What? I don't know, I can't even pronounce it. However, of Monsters and Men are a great band. I take the piss, but the world worth seeing. You're listening to the Rubber Room podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Rubber Room AU. A beaver took a man hostage in Latvia, and now every single part of this story, and I know you're not going to believe me, but every single part of this story is true. 
Apparently a local man was uh, bitten into submission by a hospital rodent, i.e. a beaver. And when he rang rescue workers, they thought he was winding them up, so they just hung up on him. Now, the man, identified only as Sergi, was taken hostage by an irate beaver in Dagvapils, which is the largest city in Latvia, according to the local newspaper. Sergi was walking around late at night, minding his own business, when out of the shadows, a beaver emerged and charged straight at him. And he was bitten deeply on the leg by the massive buck-toothed rodent. As he tried to fight back, he was dropped to the ground by the beaver, which stood over him and wouldn't let him leave. He lay there motionless, hoping that the beaver would lose interest and hunker back to its swamp. But the beaver merely glared at him with ruthless eyes. And when he tried to get up, it bit him again. The local newspaper said in a quote likely never before heard on the news, it seems as though the beaver in effect was holding Sergi hostage. Although the motive behind the hostage crisis remains unknown. So even though the beaver wouldn't let Sergi leave, it allowed him to use his cell phone. So he called the local rescue services. And they just thought he was winding them yeah, up. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, yeah, they just hung up on him, right? So almost losing the end of his tether, he called up a mate who said, have you lost your mind? He said, no, my mind's still in place. Please come and get me from the clutches of this beaver hostage taker. So he rushed to the scene, but on the way there, he was speeding and the cops pulled him over. And he explained that he had to go and rescue his mate from the beaver. And they immediately put him on the breathalyzer. Turned out he was okay. So the cops followed him there. When they got there, they realised they need heavy backup. So animal welfare turned up. Wow, this is incredible. Incredible story, but true, folks. The beaver, which incidentally is a protected species in Latvia, disappeared as secretly and as ominously as it arrived. However, and here's the uh, caveat to the whole thing. According to Milhouse Poppins, the director of the Daggerville Zoo, beavers can become very aggressive in the spring. So if you encounter an aggressive beaver, the best thing to do is turn around and run away, or the alternative is to drop your wallet or some other object and distract it. For his part, Sergi was traumatised by the experience and given 15 stitches on the leg from the brutal bites inflicted by the brazen beaver. That's quite a big bite, 15 stitches. Yeah, I know. Tacked by an irate beaver. It's not the first time. (laughs) I don't know. How much do you know about beaver? What, you asking me? Yeah. I don't know anything. Well, we're going to find out everything we need to know after this. I guess in the interest of education, which is what we're all about here at the Rubber Room at Triple M, let's find out about the beaver. Hello? Oh yeah, hi, it's Phil here at Triple M. I'm trying to find out about beavers. Can you help me? I'm one of the zookeepers. Can I help you? Yeah, um, are you familiar at all with beaver? Well, it's not really my area of expertise, but um, right. I'll try and help you. Would you know uh, whereabouts in the world the moist water beaver comes from? The moist water beaver? I know there's beavers in the Rockies, but I don't know about the, the Rocky beaver. Water. No, no. Okay, what about the dark undergrowth beaver? It's mainly in the water, you know, beavers. Right, yeah. So this would be a very. So this would be a damp beaver then, obviously. I don't know about a damp beaver. There are damp beavers. Damp beaver, damp right? Beaver. Right. Okay, sure. Curly beaver. Curly beaver. Curly beaver or the Brazilian beaver? I suppose the the Brazilian beaver would be from. You know, probably a more warmer climate. I mean, that would be probably a warm sort of beaver, wouldn't it, really? I wouldn't know about the warm water beavers. They're usually in the in the rockies somewhere. Okay, the um the, the fish-eating beaver. Well, beaver's not really a, a fish, you know. A beaver isn't fish. Not really, no. no. Right. Uh, the overgrown French beaver. Because they wouldn't think of France really as having beaver, would you? That's from the Alps, eh? The French Alps. Beaver that tends to sort of, you know, be higher up. Oh, be higher up, yeah. Higher up beaver, yeah, yeah, right. What about the snapping beaver? Do you have uh, much or any information about that? Snapping beaver, snapping beaver. I know they snap trees. They snap trees and, and... Cut them down, you know. And yeah, no, I've... Uh, build, totally. build dams with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Terrific. Okay, well, you've been a great help. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, always pleased to be of assistance. Crikey, this is an educational show, isn't it? Hey, eh? I suppose so, in one way. Yeah, in many ways. I mean, tomorrow we may investigate uh, the cougar, I think. Oh, we totally should. I'm with your professor. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at that. Miss Anderson? Miss Anderson? I was your professor. I was your professor. <laughs> Hands up all the people around here that watch too much late night television. Me! You're listening to the Rubber Room Podcast. You can listen to us weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. on Triple M. Mr. Inappropriate, do the introduction. So what's yellow and red and falls down the stairs? I don't know what. Why the f- should I care? See what I did there? Mm. That was my temper trap. Just introduce the band. Yes. Tamper Trap! I'm so happy to be out here. Thank you so much. It's been too long.
Thanks for coming into the rubber room. How are you? We're great. Thanks. I like the sort of undulating beat of the song. It's really interesting. Different to what I'd expected from you from the past, but I really like what you did with that. Tickets Thieves. Yeah, that was a song that Dougie had, I believe, and kind of like worked up with a producer in London. It's got almost that Breaking Bad soundtrack feel to it in a way, you know? Well, I'm more of a Game of Thrones guy personally, but uh, (laughs) Breaking Bad, that's a good reference. (laughs) Yeah. I think the idea was to write something kind of Queens of the Stone Age. Um, So go with the flow. Yeah, I don't know if it ended up sounding like that, but that was kind of like what I had in my head initially. Yeah, what came first, the music or the lyrics? The music. Sometimes a hiatus between albums with you guys as well. Well, We've been growing our hair, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, and the beards and everything. That's it, exactly. It's all about the hair envy in this interview, mostly for me. (laughs) I'm the most short-sighted person in the band. If it was up to me, the album would have been out three years ago. Okay, all right. um, And I think, this song's great, we should do the album, but you know what, we kept making more and more songs, and I think we just wanted to get it right at the end of the day. And you listen back to these songs a hundred times and you like you know formulate it and, uh, and is that a frustrating thing sometimes because you overthink it it can be I mean it's it's tedious I mean you can really get pretty deep into it you know we got a studio in London so we were able to spend quite a bit of time getting it right and um, Toby kind of has the engineering fingers for the band and you know we were able to write a lot of demos and yeah, I think we just wanted to make sure we, when we came out, we had everything on it that we loved and yeah. felt like it was something good. Did you have much of an excess of material as well? Goodness, there a there's few, a lot. A few that fell by the wayside yeah, right. over the time, for sure. Well, thank you for doing the acoustics tonight here in the Rubber Room as well. Do you enjoy playing the songs acoustically as well? Yeah, I think we have some of the arrangements of our acoustic songs. Sometimes I feel like they're better than the, the original sometimes. <laughs> yeah, love, love, yeah. Lost, love Lost in particular. We've even thought about like trying to do that at a concert, like do it as an acoustic version. When you do the stuff that's left over from this album, you know, the B-sides and rarity stuff, acoustically, I mean, there's a whole new gig for the band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming in. Thanks, Thanks man. Yeah. So there's a guy on the phone. He's called Jason, or if you like... Jace of Spades, because for this year, every day is dictated to him by Motorhead. All of his music, everything that he does is Motorhead related. How are you, man? Hey, Phil. How are you going? Good to talk to you. Not what I was expecting. I was expecting you to go, whoa, you going? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Is this a tribute since the death of Lemmy? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, that's probably what um, triggered it. But there are so many things available these days. We have just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things, you know, musical things we can listen to. And it's a little bit also of tuning into that when we were younger and things were more limited and harder to come across. Just, you know, channeling it a little bit more deeper, getting a little bit, you know, really to the essence of things rather than just listening to things in a more scattergun kind of way. Yeah. Motorhead every day for a year? Yeah. And yeah. starting when? January 1st. And you live your life according to a very strict set of rules. Yeah. It's funny in a sense that, you know, some of them are a bit of a, an in-joke. It's a little bit kind of ironic in a sense because, you know, Motorhead, you know, whole thing was about defiance. Well, I yeah. know one of your rules, and I'll get you to give me the most important ones, but one of them is when you go to somebody's house, you've got to put Motorhead on. And if they're not playing Motorhead, then you're going to have to leave. Yeah, yeah. So, so far, I've been, uh, been successful on that. What are some of the other rules? <laughs> Whenever I put music on, it has to be Motorhead. That's um, a little bit sort of obvious. Um, if I count a, you know, a busker or something like that sort of thing, you know, office Christmas party, if I can't control it, I have to sort of imagine that um, it's a Motorhead song that I'm sort of tuning into. <laughs> if you're one of those people that kind of makes up songs, like I have a couple of kids, you know, so you're always just making up stupid songs. Um, you know, it has to be along the lines of a, of a Motorhead tune. If anyone had some burning desire to, to give me presents, give me records or something like that, they can be non-Motorhead records, but I can't listen to them until next year. And, of course, you have to drink a Lemmy and Coke. Well, of course. You managed <laughs> to get to May. Let's check in in September and see how you're going. Sounds grand. Cheers, mate. Thanks. All right, good to talk to you. Noel Gallagher, who was out here recently with the High Flying Birds and quite short. And compared to me saying that, how about this guy in the UK who thought he was 17 centimetres tall? He had to write this. Sent his employers into a meltdown. They said, well, we've got ourselves a seriously overweight dwarf. Because he said my BMI, which is the body mass index, 149,000, he said. Well, they said, we've got a problem with this guy. I don't know what my height is in centimetres. I don't know about Sammy X. Your height in centimetres? About 170, I think. Right, okay. Well, he was 176 and he actually wrote 17 centimetres tool and they thought who is this guy walking around here's a great thing peter's on the phone from the uk he's developed a mirror it's called who tall are you and you compare your height to celebrities whose heights are printed on the mirror how's it work 
Well, yeah, that's the thing, because, I mean, originally the concept was all about, like, when you're a little kid, you kind of measure your height and stuff, and you, you kind of put a little pencil mark on the wall, and as you're growing up, you kind of see it growing, and we thought it was kind of a nice extension to that, so it's got a kind of familiarity to it. It's got that kind of novelty factor that you can also see uh, your height compared to a celebrity. Yeah, but people will go to someone's house, and the first thing they'll want to do is see if they're James Dean or Tom yeah. Cruise. You know, I'm fairly, I'm short, you know, I'm about five six, uh, and I would get great pleasure knowing that I'm taller than, say, Tom Cruise or or Colin Farrell or something like that. A lot of people are. Yeah, and it would give me an intense feeling of satisfaction, purpose, and also achievement, and yet I've actually done nothing to get that. Exactly, it's perfect. I mean, I've got my friend in my place, and every single person that comes over, the first thing they do, stand in front of it and compare themselves. It's kind of one of those things that, um, as long as you're over about 5'7", 5'8", you kind of come up with quite a good result. Yeah, thanks. I just told you I was 5'6". There's no need for you to make me feel little. <laughs> At 5'6", maybe 5'6 and a quarter, yeah. who am I taller than? So you would actually be around about Robert De Niro height, but that, that sort of height. It means you're taller than Bruce Lee, which is good. No way! This is the most fantastic thing. How much does it cost? Um, I don't know how much it sells for over there. Um, over here, it retails at about eighty pounds. With the current strength of our dollar, it's about six million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Who's the shortest person on the mirror? Gary Coleman's down there. Oh, well, I knew I was taller than him. Yeah, Danny DeVito. Yeah, again, yeah. I kind of knew I was taller than him. Um, and what about yeah, everybody, yeah. Be, all the women would be loving Kylie Minogue there too, wouldn't they? Yeah, Kylie Minogue's on there. She's, she's, she's quite tall, actually. And right at, right at the top, you've got people like uh, Peter the Great, Holt Hogan, Dolph Lundgren, right at the top there. Kid Rock. Well, that's so interesting. People will, of course, your big mates will come over there. Oh, give us a look at Dolph then. <laughs> We've got to 200 centimetres, so. Peter the Great and uh, Peter Crouch, which is one of our footballers. Great thing. See, I would love to get that so that I knew I was taller than Bruce Lee. <laughs> Kicked his ass. Hi, we're Blink-182, and when we're not f***ing your mom, we're listening to Ugly Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, how are you? Very well, thank you, Phil. Mate, last time you were six foot five or something when you were talking to Chris Cornell, and at the moment you're five foot six. Which is it? Shrinkage. Shrinkage? Yeah. Depends Shrinkage. on the weather. It's the we- it is winter, I suppose. Really, what you were trying to do was to make me feel a little about myself, weren't you? I definitely was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, know, a, I'm a little bit busy, you know. I'm, I'm upset about Parramatta, and now um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take it out on you. Taking out the sporting <laughs> frustrations on your old buddy, Ugly. All right, let me get to this, because I don't know how it's going to go. In fact, Sammy X is a little bit dubious as well, but I'm going to go with it, because the discovery of a baby goat with human features had people confused in Malaysia, but me... It heightened my senses of what's possible with this story about the farmer from Malaysian village of Felder, who said it was a huge surprise to discover a baby goat, but it had human features. He said, I was quite shocked, but fascinated as well, because its face, its nose, its short legs, and even the condition of its soft body resembled that of a human. Meanwhile, the light brown fur covering its entire body resembled that of a goat. But the veterinary services department said they don't have a reason behind this. Some people have said, perhaps... It's a mythical half-human, half-goat manifestation from the forest with a bit of animal spirits thrown in. For me, again, it's a sad story, but it's no excuse for let's see if we can find a punchline. <laughs> What's the punchline? Okay. Now, again, it's sensitive. Sensitive in the fact that it might be really bloody hard to find a punchline for this, but I'm going with it as well, and I hope you've got your Sammy X. So, apparently, it had a bit of a beard, or could you call that a goatee? Oh, yeah. That's not my best one. Yeah, but that's not my best one. I got my best work. Yeah, what have you got? Mine is, his face was so ugly, it was enough to make a U-turn. See, there are punchlines in it. Yeah, I get it, a U-turn. Apparently, Bill Murray saw it, and you know what he said? I ain't afraid of no goats. Okay, so we're getting some punchlines for the discovery of the baby goat with the human features that had people confused. But here's the question. What exactly is the punchline? Well, there's some people on the phone, so I guess we're going to go somewhere with this. Ian? G'day, mate. How you going? I'm waiting with excitement and anticipation. Apparently, it turns out it was a hoax and they were just kidding around. <laughs> I knew there was going to be a kid in there, too. Thanks, Phil. Hello, Chris. Okay, so what have we got? Oh, mate, I really feel for the poor kid. Hello, Liam. Okay, well, I've got two. I wonder how it panned out. And the other is, it's possibly because the farmer got lonely. It was in Malaysia, not New Zealand. Hello, Ben. Not something you'd want the kids to see. There it is, another kid. The kid references will be here all night. Hello, Stephen. What is it, mate? When they rang up to tell him about this guy, they thought he was kidding. There's another kidding joke. Paul. 
Yes, mate. Does it have a kidding in it? Oh, mate, I don't know what the joke's all about. Either way you look at it, they're still a kid. Peter, I'm going to have to give you a warning here. If the kid word is part of this punchline, we're not going to have it. All right. Kid caught acting the goat dies. I warned you. <laughs> we should just have excluded the kid in it. Yeah, but then we would have got no calls. Yeah. Mind you, if it had lived, it would have gone on to act in the movies. Yeah. Ask me which movie. <laughs> which movie, Phil? Karate Kid. Oh, of course. Thank you. And there it is. Now we can all get some sleep. Sandy Rear's on the phone. She's a psychologist. She wrote an article in the paper on the weekend about living with a flat made from hell. Sandy, thanks for coming on the rubber room. So you mentioned that, you know, probably the word psychopath is a good word to use with some of the people you could end up living with. Absolutely. We often think of psychopaths as being the murderous, villainous, criminal types. But in fact, there's a whole other category of psychopath called the corporate psychopath. So that's someone who's, and that translates to everyday people as well. So they're people who are often high functioning, who are pro-social, but they're very narcissistic, very manipulative, persuasive in their behaviour. They've only ever lived with females as flatmates uh, and they've always been really easy to live with. So let's look at some of the rules that you've given us here. Be observant right from day one. What do you mean by that? If you're going onto the internet and you're trying to get a flatmate, you know, and you've got to talk to them, you've got to meet them, get outside of the unit that you're offering them. Go out and have a coffee. So look at their behaviour. Look at their non-verbal behaviour. Do they avoid eye contact, for instance? Do they seem overly anxious? Do they seem overly keen to please you? Get a list of their track record. Do they say, I moved here for six months, that didn't work out. Three months here, that didn't work out. One month here, she was a bitch. So look at their use of language. What about considering social media? Like get on their Facebook page and see what they do? Everyone does it. Why not take advantage of all what the internet's offering? See what pictures they post of themselves. Because, again, if they're highly manipulative, they're going to say one thing to you, but they're going to present their photos as a, as a very different. So you might see someone who's looking really neat and tidy and really structured and really organised. The photos, they say, are lots of girls coming home, lots of photos, maybe nude photos. I don't know, a whole range of photos. Is it someone who's a party guy who doesn't reveal that in the interview? Do you want lots of strangers coming into your home? Which puts you and your safety at risk as well. Yeah, of course. And you say, ask yourself how you fit in. But I guess you should also look at that from both sides, how you fit into their lives as well. That's absolutely right. And that's where it gets down to being really clear, really observant. If you're old enough to move out of home, be brave enough and mature enough to set some parameters in place. Be clear about what you expect in a flatmate. You know, you want tidiness. You want cleanliness. Nothing wrong with doing that, because if someone isn't like that, it's going to fall into all disasters from day one. I think two of the most important rules are tidiness and cleanliness. What are your boundaries? What do you like? Do you like the dishes put away or not put away? You couldn't care less. I think the other boundary is how you have other visitors come and stay in your home. I've heard many stories where we're having a girlfriend who comes or a boyfriend who comes over every single night and they're not paying rent. So be clear about what's going to happen if a third or indeed a fourth person comes into that property. If you put parameters in place at the very beginning, say, listen, let's review this situation in three months. I would never sign up for a 12-month lease with someone who I have never lived with and never met before. Yeah, brilliant. Let's do, say, three months. Let's see how it works out. Then let's do a six-month review. And at that time, it's clear, it's objective. Is it working? Isn't it working? And it might be sort of two-thirds working, but let's tidy up on X and Y. Sandy, great to talk to you. Thanks, bye. Back in the early 90s, I lived on the Gold Coast and I lived. I shared a house with three strippers. And because uh, the good thing about it was that they never wanted to eat anything, so there was always food in the fridge for me. But they always walked around in various states of undress, but you never really thought about it because it was just like the people you lived with. Except when your mates would come over and knock on a door on Saturday morning and walk in and like there'd be three girls walking around with just bikinis and no tops on. They're like, whoa, what the hell? You know, but sometimes I ring up record stores to see if I can, well, whatever ones exist anymore, see if I can come up with the most ridiculous band names possible. Um, And then somebody said, well, why don't you ring up and see if you can find the most ridiculous book titles? And then somebody else said, well, how about you ring up and see if you can find the most ridiculous magazine titles you can think of? And I said, well, okay then. Oh, yeah, hi, mate. It's Phil here at Triple M. I'm just chasing some magazines. I wonder if you've got them there. Okay. All right. Would you have um, Unclog Weekly, which is the plumber's magazine? No, not that one. New Knots This Week magazine? No, not that no, one. No, okay. Haggling magazine? How'd you spell that? H-A-G-G-L-I-N-G, as in haggling for something. Haggling magazine. 
No, not that no. one. Arm Wrestling Weekly? No, no Arm Wrestling. Whiptail Lizards of Perth magazine? That's geographic. No, we don't sell no, them. No, okay. Ironing on a budget? No. The Potato no. Grower? No, not that one. My Octopus and Me magazine? No. Pure Milk magazine? No. Sunburn magazine? Bed Bugs and Bikies? Um, no. All right. Never mind. Well, thanks for your help anyway. Hello, everyone. This is David Eric Grohl from the Foo Fighters. You're listening to Ugly Phil. Don't forget it. Believe me, he's pretty gross. Triple M, the rubber room. Dr. Dot is on the phone. She's the masseuse or masseur to rock stars worldwide, but she has a twist. And a lot of people talking about you at the moment. I think it's hilarious, all the fuss about this, because I've been doing it my whole life. I started when I was like four or five. My mother and father would be laying around the house smoking a doobie and watching some psychedelic movie and I would just walk on their backs and my mom would massage my feet. Sometimes she would say, it's not strong enough, come on, bite my back. I'm in a lot of pain today, bite me. Right. So I would just bite her whole back. I mean, we had a lot of weird, strange family rituals. I remember my father getting a big sander out of the tool shed and sanding my mother's feet down all the time. <laughs> okay. Something that's crazy to everyone else is just normal to us, you of know? Of course. So oh. you gave your first backstage massage at the age of 15 to Def Leppard. Right. That was the first band I ever worked on. I, the first band I ever met with the Cars. But I was like, you know what? There's got to be a better way to hang out with these people because all I got was an autograph and then they, they pissed off. And I was like... I want to hang out with them. So then the Def Leppard thing came around, and I was like, we want to see the show, and, you know, we got to know them and work on you guys for free if you can get us in, you know. So that's how that started. You said it was a choice of either blowjobs or money or massage, so you chose massage. Probably a good choice at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean... There's enough girls that do that. And by the way, Phil Collin came out with his own, it's an autobiography when you write about yourself, just came out and he writes about me in his book. Let's get to some of these big names. But first, let's talk about the procedure. So you bite the backs and the buttocks and then you rub oil in the skin. What does the biting do? Occasionally, I have bitten the glutes, which is the proper name for the butt. In order for me to keep my job on a daily basis, I kiss the glute. So I'm kind of, you know, in the same ballpark. It's not like I'm chewing on people's asses every day. It's not like that. I have bitten Simon Cowell's butt and Steven Tyler's butt and Sting's butt. I know that it sounds like crazy, but it's so amazing. Yeah. The glutes are the largest muscle group in the whole body, and everyone's sitting on their glutes all day and night. They need to be tenderized, too. Before I put the oil on the person's body, I asked them, do you want to try one of my unorthodox massage methods? And they're like, sure, I'll try anything. I love your work. You know, this is like for repeat customers, like people that have a lot of money and a lot of time and they know how important body work is. And they love my massage. I have so many different techniques. I have the spider walk. I have the pizza dough method. I have the Mick Jagger method. I have all. I have the Axel Rose method. <laughs> I have all these different things that I have invented that they love. They're like, I don't give a f- what you call it. Do it to me. I love you, and I bring them to heaven and back. It's you know, massage is better than sex because sex, it's like you have to work and do all this stuff. Massage, you're getting unconditional love. You just lay there, and someone tenderizes you. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne in the rubber room with Ugly Phil. I'm gonna come down there and bite his. Dr. Dot's still on the phone in the States, the celebrity masseuse to the stars, but her piece de resistance, her act, is to bite their asses. But you've got several techniques, is that right? I do have certain techniques that I've named after celebrities, and I called the lip massage that I do the Mick Jagger technique, but then when I did it to Steven Tyler, I go, I call this the Mick Jagger technique, and he jumps off the massage table and he goes, what? My lips are way bigger than his. You better stop calling it the Steven Tyler method now. <laughs> you know, I live for music. Yeah. So for me to be able to massage my musical heroes, you know, I'm in heaven. Of course I'm going to pull your hair. Oh, the hair pulling as well. I didn't know hair. about that. Well, unfortunately, I'm bald. Otherwise, I'd be totally up for that. I'll pull on your scalp. Oh, my it, back hair. It's such a relief to have someone pull your, yeah, I'll pull your back hair. <laughs> it's not an S&M massage, but sometimes you have to have pain to get to the pleasure. Can I mention a couple of other sure. names to you that you've worked with as well? For example, Keith Richards and David Bowie. I massaged him when he was with Tin Machine. I gave him the bite method. He loved it. And then he came back again with his normal band, David Bowie, and massaged him again. Loved Bowie. How was Keith Richards? Oh, he's just so laid back. He's not Mr. Health. You know, he's not like, <laughs> I have to have a massage every day. Yeah. Out of all the stones, he gets the least amount of body work. 
for sure. At the time, I was breastfeeding my daughter. He was telling me, like, ah, you got to get her off the boob. She's never going to leave you alone. And, you know, he's giving me these tips on how to do it. I was like, I'm getting breastfeeding tips from Keith Richards. It's so bizarre. You've got to get a book out. You've got to come to Australia and bite me. And you've got to give me the email address so people can find out about the oils as well. All you have to do is Google Dr. Dot. If you can't find my website. I mean, yeah. you've got to be. It's drdot.com. It's so easy. I could talk to you all day. It's been great and insightful. Thank you so much, man. <laughs> all right. Take care. Reach out anytime, okay? Yeah, no problem. Since the Hulk Hogan trial, the latest must-have fashion item is the bandana. Who would have thought? Hulk Hogan has it. In fact, several icons of panache wear the bandana. I you've can got, think of one. Yeah, Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels. Of course, Peter Fitzsimmons. Who's that? That guy that wears the red bandana. You'd oh, know him if you watch TV. No, You'd know. be thinking to yourself, why is that guy wearing that bloody bandana? So here's my question to you. Are you a bandana man? I mean, I've got to admit, for a brief period of time in my 30s, when my hair was completely thinning, I decided that a bandana was de rigueur, and I wore it, but uh, in retrospect now, thinking and looking back at it, I looked like an idiot. So I'm not saying that necessarily your bandana is making you look foolish, because maybe... The ladies, they love it. I don't know. Could you ever see yourself, Sammy X, dating a bandana-wearing man? Yes. You would? Yes. Oh, of course. Do you remember when I went to that Brett Michaels face? Yeah. That was all because of the bandana. Wow. Okay. Bandana men and perhaps women of Australia tell me whether or not I'm foolish or whether or not I should be slipping that piece of cloth, that dish towel back over my head. All right, so I mentioned before that the great fashion must-have accessory for 2016 is the bandana, thanks to Hulk Hogan. Uh, is this for you, Nat, or a friend? Uh, unfortunately, it's not me. It's me a good mate of mine. He's uh, got dreads for the last 15 years, and he's finally starting to uh, thin out a little bit on top there. Yeah. So he's, he's wearing the uh, bandana now to cover it up. Well, you know, that's the thing that I was doing when I was going bald, but I guess if you've got the dreads down the side, no one's going to believe it's a baldness issue. Would you uh, ever bandana up yourself? Oh. Probably not. I've got short hair and I reckon it'll look pretty horrendous on myself, so <laughs> I'll say no. Ross, <laughs> the bandana or not? Yes, I do. I've got four of them. I just picked up a Black Sabbath one at the concert. Did the ladies, they love it? Well, I don't care. I used to actually, when I'm working and I get hot and sweat, they just soak up the juice and then keep it out of my face. Do you have a special going out bandana? Yeah, it's got flaming skulls on it. Oh, man. If Gordon Ramsay opens a five-star restaurant, you should go in wearing that because you'd be at the front. Absolutely, and I'll put the Akuma on on top of it. Oh, come on! <laughs> Brian, Bill. bandana or not? Oh, yeah, definitely bandana, mate. They keep your hair out of your eyes. Yep. They cover your head if you don't have hair. They keep your head warm in winter, cool in summer. Keep the sweat out of your eyes. All around, just a great headwear. No, I'm not convinced. You wear it on your own. <laughs> yeah, you have a good night, mate. John? G'day, Phil. How are you? How do you feel about the bandana? I like the bandana. I don't wear them myself. But I think to earn your stripes of wearing a bandana, you have to have something going for you. And I'm sorry, Peter Fitzsimmons doesn't. What is the reason for that? Is it because of any charity or is it just that he wears it? Oh, look, I just think because he bores the shit out of me. (laughs) That's bringing disgrace to the good name of the bandana. Let's quickly compare it, Phil. Okay, Peter Fitzsimmons wears a bandana. Hulk Hogan body slams somebody over seven foot over the top of his head. He deserves to wear a bloody bandana. Yeah, that's a good point. See you, buddy. Hey, what's up? This is David from Disturbed with Ugly Phil in the rubber room on Triple M. So speaking about TV, and oftentimes you see TV news and you think, hang on a second, didn't I just see that story on the other news channel a couple of minutes ago? Well, this was on Conan O'Brien the other night. These are all different news stations on different networks. Have a listen to them reporting on this story. Well, if you filled up your gas tank lately, then you don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. So you don't need us to tell you that <laughs> gas prices are back on the rise. So you don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you <laughs> gas prices are back on the rise. So you don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. So you don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. So you don't need us to tell you gas prices are back on the rise. Wow. So you don't need us to tell you that gas prices are back on the rise. You don't need us to tell you gas prices are on the rise. I know. Yeah, some accurate, dependent reporting there. 
I haven't seen too much today on social media or anywhere about May the 4th be with you, which was a huge thing for a while. It seems to have gone down to a bit of a dribble right now. However, Julie's on the phone. She's our Rubber Room Star Wars fan. I guess there's still Star Wars stuff out there, though. There's so much out there, but there are actually fans that are that dedicated that they will make it their life's aim to track down all of these amazing artefacts and things from the film sets. There's action figures. There's, you know, new releases of... Each DVD. The most sought-after one, though, would be the lightsaber, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think every little boy grows up hoping that one day they will get the chance to wield a lightsaber and do the... Well, you know, you don't need to do the... Now, the ones that come out now, the ones that are available, are brilliant. When I was a kid, it was a torch and a bit of plastic. (laughs) Oh, it's funny you should say that because all the actors apparently really struggled to stop adding in their own sound effects (laughs) because they were so used to growing up playing with the toys that they just... When they were fighting, they just kept going... And uh, George Lucas actually had to step in and say, look, guys, we've actually got the technology. We can do that for you. (laughs) I spoke to the guy that was inside R2-D2, Kenny Baker. He was just, it was like a small cat. That's the funny thing, because, I mean, nowadays it's all CGI and there's all these amazing computer graphics that can um, put the hundreds and millions of droids that are in the film. But, yeah, back in the day, every creature was actually someone with a very uncomfortable costume on. <laughs> well, that's funny you say that because Peter Mayhew, of course, who got the role of Chewbacca, only got the role, really, because he had the right size feet. Yeah, George Lucas ran into this guy, looked at the size of his feet and then kind of looked at the size of the rest of him and thought, yep, yeah, I, I think this could work. <laughs> I'm led to believe that George Lucas came up with the idea of Chewbacca one day when his dog was sitting on the seat in his car next yeah. to him and he went, hang on, there's something in this. Yeah, yeah, he, w- he was driving along and looked at this dog and thought, hmm, you know, I think a fairy animal could do quite well as a co-pilot. Harrison Ford was, in fact, a carpenter. Wasn't he brought in to just act as the co-star to just have people bounce lines off him? Eventually, George Lucas went, actually, he's quite good. Yeah, and the funny thing is now he's probably, you know, the most successful out of um, all the original actors. The others have kind of, you know, gone off in their separate directions, you know, trying to continue acting with varying degrees of success, but Harrison Ford's as big as he's ever been. Do you know how long it would take to watch all films back-to-back? It depends on what editions you get, because um, all the DVDs are slightly different, or videos, I guess, yep. um, but it would take just over 13 hours. 13 hours, really? Yep. So you could really lock yourself down for a Star Wars marathon and um, commit yourself to seeing the, the full story. I also heard, and I thought this was a myth, that Frank Oz, um, the puppeteer and the voice of Yoda, was you know originally the voice of Miss Piggy. I didn't think that was actually true. Yeah, no, he's he's a very um, accomplished voice artist. May the fourth be with you today. <laughs> and also with you. <laughs> so Iron Maiden doing their show tonight as part of the world tour of Book of Souls at the Entertainment Centre in Brisbane. And we've got ourselves a rubber room Iron Maiden official reporter. Ben, what time are they on tonight? 8.50. How's the crowd? Yeah, pretty pumped up. Do you see still to be filled? But I suspect they'll be filled up soon and the, uh, the crowd's ready to go. Hey, listen, can we call you back when the band come on stage? Hold your phone up in the air so we can hear it? Absolutely. Are you wearing a maiden shirt? Uh, yes. Which one? The tour of the 2016. Oh, you went and bought one? Yeah. Good man. Hi there, this is Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. You're listening to Ugly Phil. He's in the rubber room, so are you, and you're on Triple M. I've just shown Gazzo the video of Linkin Park's Numb. <laughs> is performed by screaming, barking animals. That's right. Dogs, foxes, donkeys, and maybe Beyonce. Oh, All right, let's have a listen to this. There you go, Lincoln Park's numb. That's ridiculous. (laughs) 
I know we don't talk about politics very much in the rubber room, and there's several reasons for that. We try and, you know, get an escape from the daily life to the day-to-day stuff that goes on in life. However, I read this article in the newspaper that was co-written by Dr. Yancey Orr, lecturer of anthropology at the School of Social Science at the University of Queensland. And he said when it comes to Donald Trump, who incidentally, if you miss it, is the presumptive nominee for the elections in America for the Republican Party. Presumptive nominee means basically well, we couldn't get anybody else to beat him and really was screwed now. So he wrote this article and I found it really interesting. And he says, along with the co-author, that we live in a simplified society that's fueled by technology. And he blames reality television for giving Trump a serious shot at the presidency. And you know, I've got my very own strong views about reality TV. Let's speak to Dr. Orr. Firstly, can we try and get our head around what is this profound influence of Trump? Donald Trump is really the great communicator of the political arena for the 21st century, as we've seen it, where other revolutionary figures like JFK in the 1960s had a great deal of traction because of his looks in his television uh, persona, and Ronald Reagan in the 80s uh, took that a step farther. Trump has really uh, uh, capitalized on a uh, content-light medium of social media and uh, reality television. That's one explanation for the rise of Donald Trump. Now, I'm no academic, I'm just a disc jockey, but I believe that people have become so dumbed down by reality television, TV being people's only form of stimulation in a lot of cases. It's just one show after another where if you don't like the contestant, you get rid of them. They're gone home. I wonder whether or not we've seen this in Australian politics. Maybe I'm simplifying things where with Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Tony Abbott as well. We don't like this guy. That's all right. He'll be gone in a couple of days and we'll have a new one. Do you think that mentality as a result of reality TV is what's causing people like Donald Trump to have their success? Yes. Reality TV takes something that's very complicated. Let's say like surviving in a jungle, okay, or buying a new home or trying to find somebody to marry and it turns it into a game or something that's simple and understandable with rules that people could appreciate, as well as it turns it into a drama. And that's the ingredients for reality television. It simplifies it, and it makes us think that the things that happen way out in a distance, complicated political systems, etc., are things that we know about and understand about. And this is very different than a documentary format in which the complexities of reality outside of one's life are really brought into and to stimulate and grow the person who's watching it. Really a lack of attention span, of the development of attention span. And, you know, that's not to say that people are stupid because they're not. But I guess if you only have a certain amount of time and we live in the age of technology where information is processed and delivered so quickly, you don't really get more than a sound Yeah, we get bombarded with more information probably than we have anywhere in, let's say, the last 200,000 years as human beings have really been on, on the planet. However, that information comes in very, very small bits. So you'll get, you know, 140 characters about something. So it doesn't really create a long narrative in which people can analyze information. This is not just what people are attracted to, as you said, but also their ability to process and anticipate Uh, what might be the consequences of making these decisions. And so do you think that he's going to be an adequate president if he got elected? It's hard to get over uh, the fear factor associated with that question. There's a very, very optimistic view that Donald Trump has said all of these horrible things and behaved in these horrible ways, and he's done that to play to a base that would support him. So he's playing his supporters, for yeah. their support. That's the hope that he doesn't really believe these things. And then if he were to become president, uh, he would not follow through on the things that he's made promises about and would be a, a reasonable person. However, you know, if you look at the psychology of Donald Trump, we don't see a lot of evidence for a reasonable, staid intellect yeah. to be president. Yeah, so it is... Uh, what did we expect would happen, you know, yeah. sort of... Uh, <laughs> you know, what did you expect? That could be his running slogan. Right, yeah, Ant- what did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> Great to talk to you. Dr. Yancey uh, all there talking about Donald Trump. You're listening to The Rubber Room Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at The Rubber Room AU. The Rubber Room, the show that takes you from a chat with a lecturer of anthropology to a practitioner of orgasm yoga. How are you, Heather? Hi, great, thank you. So what's this thing actually called? It's called orgasmic yoga. Orgasm yoga, right. And is it as it says on the tin, do you, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the point. There's all sorts of added benefits as well as the usual benefits of yoga. You also get 
great excitement and adrenaline from the uh, orgasm. Of course you do. <laughs> have you ever faked your yoga? Never. And so what do you have to do in order for you to get into the position where you have an orgasm? Well, everybody's different. Right. Um, and we kind of work our way up to that orgasm stage. And sure. Everyone happens at different stages. Is the period leading up to it known as foreplay yoga? Uh. <laughs> hey, come on, work with me. So how long does it take you to get ready to go? Oh, we can start now. I warmed up earlier. Do you use... No, I don't know if I can ask that question. <laughs> how do you warm up? I'll just do some stretching. So uh, what do you do? Do you stand up or do you lie down? And how long does it take? I do a little bit of both of those. And I can roughly do it in about five minutes. Can you do it in about a minute and a half? Probably fit a quickie in. Yeah. All right, so you're going to lie down on the ground? Yeah, we'll start there. Start doing the channeling? Yep. Okay, we'll get the microphone so we can hear you. You start doing the channeling, and then we will be back with the orgasm yoga. Tonight on The Rubber Room, we are learning all about orgasm yoga. Wow, what an incredibly knowledgeable show this is. I'm sure you'll agree with me when you're thinking about it. You know, like the education that's coming out of The Rubber Room tonight is phenomenal. Especially seeing as Heather's lying over there on the floor. She's doing some heavy breathing. Oh, I'm sorry, getting into it to uh, give us some orgasm yoga. You okay over there? What's going on? Anyone can do it, but really it's designed for singles and couples. So you've got to breathe in through the nose, hold, and then gently release. Right. Do you need anything while you're down there? A pillow or anything? Fine. Okay, well, let's have a listen to you then, ladies and gentlemen. What's it called? Orgasmic meditation? Orgasmic meditation. Right, okay, well, carry on. Don't let me interrupt you by any stretch. Right. Stretch being the obvious bun there. I'm going to move to a downward dog. Now I'll move slowly into the lotus position. Keep breathing deeply. I'm connecting with my, myself. I'm my connecting voice. with you too, strangely. In front of the side of the desk over here. My chakra is all aligning. Great, I love when the chakras yeah. align. Okay, I'm going into the lotus position now. Slowly. <sighs> this is Jamie Angel, Program Director of The Rubber Room. After careful consultation with our legal department, it's been suggested that this part of the segment be redacted to avoid legal ramifications. But please enjoy this on hold music until the orgasm is concluded. Thank you. Wow, that was incredible! I strangely feel connected to your body too. I feel like you, me, and the universe are as one. Well, that was incredible. Yeah, it's a great way to find pleasure with your partner or by yourself. Sure. Can people come and watch? Uh, we're not open to watching at the moment. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask. Well, I think a round of applause for that magnificent effort. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, is this working? <laughs> Testy, testies. <laughs> This is ugly, Phil. Triple M, the rubber room. Do you ever like watching pimple-popping videos? Do you ever watch it and think, why am I doing this? Get this right, and if you've never seen them, you should. Go on YouTube. In fact, there's somebody on YouTube known as Dr. Pimple Popper who's got a whopping 1.1 million subscribers to her YouTube channel, and she's actually making a living out of that. And so I thought we'd speak to this guy, Pete. He runs popmypimple.com, or in fact, in the States, popmyzit.com. What's the inspiration behind this? The uh, inspiration was just like, I like gross stuff, and someone had sent me a video one time, and there was one that I'd seen in college years earlier, and uh, I started looking for it, and I couldn't find it, but I found like tons of like people out there who were interested in it. So I said, hey, let me start popthatzit.com. And I started it, and like the first day, I had like a thousand people yeah. come to the website, and it's just been growing ever since. People just love it. Do you know, we all remember our best ever pimple. The best one for me was the one in the middle of my forehead, and I remember it was there all day, and I grappled for hours, mate, hours, until eventually <laughs> I made it pop, and it popped with such a force because it was a blind pimple. So it may have even been a sweat pimple. So you know, they don't have a hand on it straight away. So uh, yeah. I had to actually get myself in the firing position, like almost Arnold Schwarzenegger at the gym, pumping 250 pounds. And, uh, and I managed to, to pop it, but the force of it was so strong, it threw me back like being hit in the face with a magnum bullet. <laughs> awesome. I know, those are the ones that catch you off guard, right? It was awesome, dude. Yeah. What are the best ones you've oh, yeah, got? We, we have about 47 categories on the site right now. The best ones always come from the back or the neck. I guess those are just the spots. 
spots that we can't get. Yeah. And uh, they, those are the ones that just end up growing there for a while. I mean, there's a couple on there where people say, oh, I've had this lump on my back for five years. I've had this on for a year. Yeah. And then someone gets at it and starts digging into it. And then it's like toothpaste. I like the ones that have suddenly come overnight or you don't know they're there. And then you look at them and they're ripe and ready to go. It's like finding a pot of gold. It's like, wow, I didn't even know that was there. You know when you get something, a little lump, and all of a sudden you just can feel that little soreness and that pressure coming, and all of a sudden... Uh, you got a chat room there as well and a forum. What kind of stuff do people contribute? Oh, man, you have people talking about just everyday stuff, the people talking about, oh, I was online today at Dunkin' Donuts, and the guy in front of me had this big, huge zit on the back of his neck, and I wanted to squeeze it so bad. And you got people coming in there going, I'm so glad I found this place. I didn't, you know, I didn't know there was people out there like me. Who's the contender oh, yeah. for zit of the year so far? Every week we get a new one that just tops the last week's one. And uh, I really, I have to sit down one day and just spend a few hours and we have to go. And people have been, I, I think there's about 50 posts in the uh, Zit of the Year post and we got to figure out which one's going to be. I'm probably going to do a top 10. You're like the Simon Cowell of blemishes. We were talking about pimples a moment ago. The power of God has freed us. And I know I'm not on my own when I hear your stories and I think about this because apparently everybody has a fascination with pimple popping. And I mentioned before there's a woman on YouTube, Dr. Pimple Popper, who's had 1.1 million subscribers to her channel. So it's a woman, so, you know, it's obviously a universal thing. And she actually makes a living out of it. You got one at the moment, Emily? I don't have one, but I love it when you squeeze them and the pus hits the mirror. Oh, yeah. And you kind of look at it and you go, that's the most disgusting thing ever, but I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, and it, it just, it gets me every time. I'm just like, that, that is disgusting. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's Oh, totally, and especially if it's on the nose or the side of the nose, so it's really tight and you've got to have a good go at it, but you know, and then sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I half squeeze it and I see it coming and I go, oh, I'm going to save it. I don't want to just let it go just like that. No, you've got to make sure that you get all of it as oh, well. Yeah, it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? It is. I don't like the ones that are, that are in the middle of your back that you can't quite get a hold on. I feel like that's God's way of being cruel to us. That's like, I, I always just get my boyfriend's one for him. Yeah. But I, I don't seem to get them on my back, so that's a good thing. I've never ever had anybody ever squeeze a pimple of mine, and I don't know how I'd feel about it, to be honest. I think it's, it's, it's more fun for the person doing the squeeze. Oh, of course! Are you kidding me? It's like going to Disneyland! Yeah, it's, it's really gross, and I hate watching the videos, but give me a chance to get at one, and I'm all over it. Oh, I hear you. You're speaking my language. No worries, bye! Mick, come on, tell me about it, man. About a few years ago, but I had one on my nose. Yeah. And it took me about oh, five days or probably a week. Really? What? You were having a go at it the whole time? Yeah. And then bang, it just went, exploded. Oh, that must have been the day of reckoning. You must have felt, I don't know, I've never given birth and I can't imagine what it's like. But for a woman, it must be the same kind of experience. Well, you may not know John Five's name. You'd know his guitar work, though. He's played on just about every one of your favourite albums, and he's on the phone. Hey, man. Hey, Ugly Phil. It's Handsome John. Now, you've already got a moniker. You can't just keep swapping like that, man. Eh, well. Do you know, a lot of people, they say, have got a book about their life. Yours, so far, would have at least three, I think. It's funny you say that, because somebody wants to do a book on me, and I'm like, who am I, Abraham Lincoln? You know, I don't know anything, but... You know, people really want to do this kind of book on me, so I guess people want to know. Well, if there's no book, there'll be a board game, Six Degrees of Separation of John Five. If, and you could probably break it down to three degrees, and that would be everybody in the uh, music industry. You should patent that. I like that. I want to run some names by you, because you, as I said, you're connected to everybody. Uh, for a start, I didn't know that you'd worked with Lita Ford um, supporting KISS. It was KISS, like, around maybe, like, late 80s, quite a treat on my end. You know, it's funny because they're all great friends of mine now and working with Paul, you know, on his record and Ace being one of my great friends. And I just talked to Peter Chris. He just gave me a call uh, just two days ago. I imagine that your phone rings all the time, but you must have some really obscure names that call you. It is really cool because, you know, I did the Ricky Martin album and then, you know, uh, I do have obscure names calling me, you know, Rob Zombie and uh, the Scorpions, Leonard Skinner and Ugly Phil. All of the big names are there. It's good. I also want to ask you about Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Uh, it was great. You know, a lot of these guys that I worked with, you know, they've had such amazing careers, but I kind of look and listen and learn from these guys because they've been doing it and they know what to do and they know what not to do. So I really kind of take 
everything in, even when they're not working. Or I'm always watching how they handle business, how they handle themselves with fans, how they handle themselves in situations. When you deal with people like Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson as well, especially Manson, because you can be very intimidated by him, and yet he's such a professional. You don't see tantrums from these guys, do you? No, you don't really see that many tantrums. And, you know, everybody I've worked for has been very professional, but I've learned a lot. Even, you know, with Katie Lang, you know, we were over there and played the opera house, and it's been wonderful. Trent Reznor, for me, the guy is so brilliant and technically so savvy as well. I didn't work that much with him. I know Trent well, and you know what? I'll, I'll have to say I love Nine Inch Nails. With Marilyn Manson, I believe you auditioned for him back in 1996, missing out on that gig, but then joining up later. Did he remember that? I think I asked him about that because what happened is I called, I got a hold of that studio. I don't know how I did, but I got a hold of the studio and I said, hey, I hear you guys are looking for a guitar player. And they were like, we found one and hung up the phone. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. You know, but everything came around and I ended up joining the band in 98 and staying until about 2003. So yep. it all kind of worked out. And you know, with Marilyn Manson, what I love about the guy is he's just so smart. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, he's very, very, very smart. I mean, like, super smart. And you know when you get into arguments with very smart people and they reason and they give up examples and stuff, you just never want to get into an argument with them. Because even if you see Manson, like, let's say, break a window, and you're like, I just saw you break that window, but he's so smart, he'll make it look like you broke the window like well you did this to make me break that window and you end up apologizing for the window i imagine though that working with manson and rob zombie as well you've been privy to some pretty f***ed up shit oh absolutely it's been nuts you know every night was new year's eve it was there was no new year's day it was every day was new year's eve i'm gonna let you go let's do like a big you know crazy long interview and you can ask me anything you want okay bye-bye now bye-bye wow what an interesting guy he is john five we may find this a bit disturbing. He held me. Go! I believe we're on Triple M, the rubber room.